Hey everyone and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Um, okay, so let me make sure I got this straight. So I can talk about stuff that was in the past as long as it's more than a week or two in the past, right? Because I, I got so. thrown off on this last week. So when I talk about, <laughs> now we can talk about still enjoying the Thanksgiving holiday together. Yeah, because um, we are in the future of that. Right, and it still makes sense from a podcast consistency timescale thing. Yeah. Okay, I had the best time hanging out with you and your uh, your dad and your stepmom uh, and playing Cards Against Humanity that at your was, house. Thank you. I had I was glad your brother and you could make it. It was, was a blast. really fun. It really is like your your folks are uh, completely uh, inappropriate enough to really make that game a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> yep, and, they have uh, no compunctions. <laughs> <laughs> And it's great. Yeah, we have to get your dad on uh, since he's an old school comics nerd, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's and... the reason why I am sitting here right now. Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll drag him in here or we'll drag us out to him at some point in the near yeah. future. Um, hey, everybody. Um, this uh, episode of Marvel by the Month uh, is all about the Marvel comics uh, that came out in July of 1964. Um, we got nine issues to get through. Um and uh, at least one of them, I think, Sergeant Fury was saying that it's like, good news, true believers, we're going monthly now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, which is good news <laughs> for everyone in, you know, 1964. But, you know, that just means that, OK, so our <laughs> list of comics that we're going to look at every month is getting longer and longer. Yep. Um, but, you know, we can't complain too much. Uh, you know, we volunteered for this mission. Um, yeah, it's a, this is the best book club. It is pretty good. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into this episode. Uh, we'll start off, as we always do, by telling you what was going on uh, in the world when these issues were hitting the stand. So, uh, like I said, this is uh, July 1964, so um, they would have been hitting the stands in May of 1964. We have a lot of Vietnam updates, uh, which is never a good thing. Nope. Uh, not in 1964. Um, so you want to, uh, start us off with a couple of those and sure. I'll jump in when it just gets way too depressing. Yeah. Last, last month, I think we got off easy. Yeah. Uh, and there was very, very little Vietnam, maybe even no Vietnam news. Yeah. Uh, but it made up for it now. So, uh, on the second of, of May, about 1000 students participated in the first major student demonstration against the Vietnam war. So this is where we start to see. Yep this uh back backlash so marching in new york city as part of the may 2nd movement that had been organized by students at yale university uh, marches also occurred in san francisco boston seattle and madison wisconsin yeah there was a draft on so mm -hmm. it this was not a volunteer army this is a war that <laughs> it had not convinced uh, some parts of america that it was worth fighting right a um, good deal of america yeah. yeah yeah especially you know the 20-something-year-old young men um, who were going to be shipped halfway across the world to fight and possibly die for something they didn't really understand why they were there to take care of. Yeah, so, and this wasn't quite the, the hippie culture yet. You know, this is the... 64 is... Uh, if, to put it in context, like in 1966, the monkeys released the last train to Clarksville. Right, right. So we're still we're still just this side of uh, Jimi Hendrix going crazy. You right, know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is very still early 60s. Yeah. Uh, on the 16th of of May, 12 young men in New York City Union Square publicly burned their draft cards to protest against the Vietnam War, the first mass act of resistance in the history of this particular war. So to your point, 
this is where this whole the draft dodgers and the card burning and starts yeah, yeah yeah and this is also i mean this would go on to become like a really uh huge class issue also in america where you had you know a lot of the folks who were uh, especially early on in these protests uh happened to be maybe a little bit more affluent maybe a little bit more white collar uh, more educated um and then you also had folks from more blue collar backgrounds who were just like my country is telling me i need to go do this i'm going to go do this because this is what i do mm-hmm this sets up this big generational divide that I think still, it was a chasm that still exists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, And then, you know, over in Vietnam, uh, the war uh, as it's escalating is not going super great either. Um, (laughs) So on uh, May 19th, the United States began operation Yankee team, uh, which was uh, low level and medium level reconnaissance flights from South Vietnam over communist strongholds in neighboring Laos at the request of the Royal Laotian Armed Forces. So they have permission to be there, but the war is now expanding beyond the borders of Vietnam. I don't even know if it's technically considered a war at this right. point yet. Still a military action or yeah. something. I guess. Something, a police, <laughs> police action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, two days later, two days after this, on the 21st, anti-aircraft artillery fired by the communist Pathet Lao damaged a U.S. Navy aircraft that was flying a photographic reconnaissance mission over Laos. The aircraft, flown by U.S. Navy Lieutenant Charles F. Klusman, burned for 20 minutes in the air, but Klusman was able to return for a safe landing aboard the aircraft carrier USS Kitty Hawk. Then, of course, on the uh, on the 24th, back home, we have Republican presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Barry Goldwater uh, he suggested the use of nuclear weapons in the Vietnam War during an interview with reporter Howard K. Smith on the ABC program Issues and Answers. Goldwater would go on to lose to President Johnson in a landslide defeat in November. So that was maybe <laughs> like <laughs> nuking rainforest was maybe not the <laughs> the best thing to. <laughs> it takes quite a lot to uh, to be seen as a a more hot-headed, unreasonable, militaristic person than uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. But uh, somehow Barry Goldwater pulled it off. Right over the top. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, staying uh, domestically, um, we've got uh, one update um, here for uh, the civil rights struggle uh, on the 25th of May. And this is actually a rare bit of good news. Uh, This is a win. Hooray. Um, The United States Supreme Court issued its decision in Griffin versus the County School Board of Prince Edward County unanimously ordering Prince Edward County, Virginia, to reopen its public schools, which had been closed for more than four years. The county's public schools have been closed since 1959 after the school board declined to follow a federal court order to file a plan for desegregation of schools. So this county in Virginia literally said, you're telling us we have to desegregate our schools. We're not going to do it. We're just not going to have public schools. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, talk um, about cutting off your nose to spite your face. Like, I'm sure there were a lot of white kids from families of modest means who could have definitely benefited from that education as well. Man, ignorance is bliss, I guess. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> Why do they all seem so miserable then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So uh, in Cold War news, 
On the 19th of May, the United States Department of State disclosed that more than 40 hidden microphones had been found embedded in the walls of the U.S. <laughs> Embassy in Moscow. <laughs> 40. The devices, which were at least eight inches inside the walls and integrated to main structural re reports, meaning they're like in the two by fours, yeah. uh, had apparently been in place since 1953. So this, they found them 11 years later uh, when the building was first leased to the United States. Wow. So, so they're like, here's your embassy lease. Uh, everything's fine in here. Don't look in the walls. Yeah, definitely don't go more For than... For a decade. Yeah, don't go more than seven or eight inches into the wall, please. Jeez. Thanks. Uh, 40 microphones. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got a few other things to, uh, to mention here on the 1st of May. Um, at 4 o'clock a.m. at Dartmouth College. Mathematics professors John Kemeny and Thomas Curtis ran the first program written in BASIC, which is the Beginner's All-Purpose Symbolic Instruction Code, which was an easy-to-learn computer programming language that they had created. Um, BASIC went on for a long time I as a, a little, base of a lot of code. Yeah. Absolutely. I did a little BASIC programming in the 1980s on my TRS-80. Yeah, I did some Commodore 64 with BASIC. Yep. <laughs> Uh, on the 7th, U.S. President Lyndon Baines Johnson first used the term that would describe his vision of federally funded social programs to create the Great Society. Uh, speaking to college students at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, President Johnson said, America is yours, yours to make a better land, yours to build the Great Society. So he coined that term there. He elaborated further 15 days later in his commencement speech to University of Michigan graduates, quote, we have the opportunity to move not only toward the rich society and the powerful society, but upward to the great society, uh, which he said rests on abundance and liberty for all, demands an end to poverty and racial injustice, a place where every child can find knowledge to enrich his mind and to enlarge his talents. That sounds cool. That's pretty all right. Sign me up. Yeah. I, I think we should try to go for that now. All right. <laughs> How about now? All right. It's <laughs> sold. On the very last day of May, uh, the longest game in Major League Baseball history up to that time ended at Shea Stadium in New York at 11.24 p.m., seven hours and 23 minutes oh. after it had started where the San Francisco Giants beating the New York Mets 8-6 to six in the 23rd inning. That sounds miserable. Oh, and Mets going to met. The, the only Beatles news, the main Beatles news is May of 1964, Beatles on holiday. <laughs> so they, they had finished shooting Help, and they went, uh, seriously, they played a show on the 31st, but they, they were all, all the news coverage was just where they were flying to and who they were with. Wow. Uh, but the U.S. single release of Sie liebt dich, the uh, <laughs> uh, I want to hold your hand in German came out, which actually the the interesting thing was it charted on the U.S. charts at 97, number on 97. U.S. charts? Yeah. So eventually. Wow. Uh, people were so hungry for something Beatles that they were buying this German single. And and my stepmom had it, too. I, I Wow. Uh, she had this. Uh, I think it had. But was it the English language version of the song? Or? No, it's the German language so version it's the of Beatles singing in actually, German. Actually, it's the sorry, it's the she she loves you. Oh, okay, uh, so yeah, yeah. It's the German language version of "She Loves You" with its original B side, um, "I'll Get You," which was in English. But uh, this German language release of "She Loves You" um, charted at ninety seven on the U.S. charts. 
uh, all right. Well, uh, so that's what was happening uh, in May of 64 when these uh, issues were hitting the stand. So we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, put Rob in the hot seat for Marvel by the Minute. Woohoo! Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, while we were off mic, uh, Rob was just saying he has absolutely no idea uh, what was going on in our first issue. So um, this sh- should be an especially good edition uh, of this. Uh, so as you know, uh, there are more and more Marvel comics coming out uh, every month now as we're going through the podcast. Uh, we can only focus on a couple or three of them in depth. So everything else winds up in this segment, which we call Marvel by the Minute. Uh, where we give Rob 60 seconds to uh, figure out what he's going to say about the high points of uh, each episode that we can't get into. Um, So uh, we're going to get started with Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number eight. Uh, But before we do that, Rob, I've got a little uh, twist on the formula this time. It's it's a very small twist. Don't get your your hopes up too high. but, uh, you know, after editing several episodes of this, I realized that uh, the chicken sound is just like I can't. It kills me. I can't it do it anymore. It kills me when I'm doing mastering. Too. Yeah. yeah. And, and now uh, I feel bad that we've subjected people to that for several episodes. So what I have is I got an early Christmas present. And so. Oh, man. We have a little little ding ding bell. This is what we use to tell the cats to come because they're going to get a treat. <laughs> it's the same bell. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, uh So you're just going to let the timer go down and then you're going to hit and that then bell I'm just to make me suffer. Do it. Okay. Uh I like it. It sounds more like an old-timey 60s game show. Yeah. I think uh I think it should work out okay. I mean, so. I'll still fumble for a full 60 seconds. Well, but, that's yeah. the fun of it. Yep. All right. So, uh Sergeant Fury number 8. Uh this story is called The Death Ray of Dr. Zemo. It's written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby, who is inked by George Bell. Uh, And this uh, story is all about the Howling Commandos versus Baron Zemo uh, in his first World War II appearance. 60 seconds on the clock. Go for it. Okay, first of all, he's Dr. Zemo here correcting uh uh, we have um art by dick ayers too on this uh which is interesting not kirby Uh, oh yeah so we uh we find out who the replacement for junior juniper who had who had died in battle uh, and that is percival pinkerton a a royal i think he's a royal air force uh member yeah raf yeah he, he carries a uh he wears a little red beret thing with a pink puffball and a uh carries an umbrella everywhere he goes <laughs> um so the guys get into some crazy time uh they take down a a submarine they go to a village where they encounter dr zemo who is a um oh man i'm gonna totally eat on this one uh, <clears throat> he is this is where i'm losing he's, nazi scientist he's a nazi a death scientist ray. death ray death ray thank you that's what it was. And the death ray is pretty awesome. But, uh, of course, he gets away. <laughs> Not bad. Was that more or less anxiety-inducing? Um, I don't know. It's about the same. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah it I didn't keeps want to my lose blood anything. pressure pretty high. <laughs> That's good, because what both of us need is higher <laughs> blood pressure. Uh, okay, well, let's go ahead and uh, 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 shift gears here. Uh, we're going to talk uh, Tales of Suspense number 55. 
Um, there's three different things uh, to oh, no. mention in here. Um, <laughs> one is uh, an Iron Man story, No One Escapes the Mandarin, written by Stan Lee with art by Don Heck. Uh, this is the Iron Man versus Mandarin uh, battle that was continued from last issue. Um, then we have a short uh, kind of, I don't know what you would call it, instructional piece called All About Iron Man um, with text by Stan Lee and art by Don Heck. And then we have a short uh, story, um, The Sun Stealer, written by Larry Lieber, plotted by Stan Lee, with art by Larry Lieber, uh, oh, featuring man. The Watcher. Um, and he uh, meets Zaku, the Sun Stealer. Uh, 60 seconds on the clock and go. Okay, so first of all, in the Iron Man continuation story, he is held captive by the Mandarin. He's been trying to track down some missiles that went awry because the Mandarin got them with some kind of magnetic ray. Um, but they, the first thing that I want to spend a bit of time on this, they're talking about him smiling in his armor, <laughs> his armor face smiling. What? Yep. Anyway, bad move. Uh, and and Mandarin notices that. So uh, eventually Tony uh, or Iron Man gets uh, all the missiles back, gets his contract restored with the military. Mandarin does all kinds of bizarre things like multiplying himself with his rings. Um, and it looks like something's brewing with Pepper Potts. Okay, then we learn a little bit more about uh, the Iron Man gear. We see a little Pepper Potts pinup. Then we get to the Sun Stealer. This is the... Uh, this alien who's trying to make uh take the watcher's son the earth's son and uh the watcher tricks him by stalling him that was very good <laughs> wow you pulled that out of the like literally the last second like the last tenth of a second <laughs> i did <laughs> i <laughs> so i i'm i sound less desperate now but i still feel it in my head <laughs> Yes, uh, I the Watcher story ends on a very cold-blooded note where like the, the Watchers basically listen to this guy brag about how he's going to steal the sun until his spaceship has sunk into like quicksand uh, basically, quicksand. yeah. Yeah. Uh and the guy the alien guy realizes that he's going to be left alone to die uh with or suffocate cuz he's got no food, no oxygen, no nothing. Um, and the watchers is going to watch him and the watchers is going to watch because he's going to watch was taunting him by saying, and there's nothing you will do about me stealing the sun. And it's yeah. like, well, there's nothing he's going to do to stop you from suffocating either. I think this was a pretty cool twilight zone episode, but, uh, yes, I, I, again, I hate Larry Lieber's aliens. They're just, what's well, the same alien. Yeah. It's always like this sort of beak faced yeah. green thing. Yep. Yep. Big just eyes. Bug eyed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, let's switch gears to Journey into Mystery number 106. Uh, we got a couple stories here, both Thor related. The Thunder God Strikes Back, written by Stan Lee, with art by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. Uh, this is the second part of the Thor versus Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Uh, and good luck trying to explain this thing because oh, I've read it twice and I'm like, <laughs> trying, I think I understand. Trying but, to flip back through it. And yeah. It's ridiculous and then uh, a much more straightforward story uh, tales of asgard balder the brave uh, written by stan lee art by jack kirby uh, and for the first time inked by vince coletta in thor and vince would wind up being kirby's regular inker on thor um going forward so uh, i'm gonna put 60 seconds uh, on the clock uh, here we go 
So this is another continuation of a fight with Thor uh, versus uh, Mr. Hyde and the Cobra. They go into an exposition where there's this big machine that somehow... <laughs> Uh, I can't remember exactly how, but it like magnetically draws in the hammer where, uh, and so in a dumb way, uh, Thor goes and hides into, in a crowd to change back into Don Blake to protect his secret identity. And then he's, then he says, he'll tell them where Thor is. If they get this cane out of the thing, uh, Cobra tries to do that in all kinds of weird, dumb ways. Can't quite do it. Hyde rips it apart. Uh, he gets the cane back. He turns into Thor, meets them pretty cool uh balder let's jump over there balder the brave is basically balder uh getting uh sentenced to be executed i can't remember what he did to do that uh, he saved a bird that fell out of its nest oh and yeah. yeah instead of continuing to a fight and then he he's almost executed but is thwarted by odin to prove that he can wait for execution <laughs> or he can brave he execution. Can, exactly. That's what makes him Balder the Brave. Yeah. And then he gets the power of immortality. Because he's such a cool guy. Yeah. He is a cool guy. Okay. Tales to Astonish, number 57. Uh, on the Trail of the Amazing Spider-Man. Written by Stan Lee. Art by Dick Ayers. Inked by Paul Reinman. Uh, so this is Giant Man and the Wasp versus Egghead. With a guest appearance by Spider-Man. Which is literally the best thing that has ever happened to giant man uh, <laughs> yes. up until this point. Um, and I then, mean, the wasp was the best thing now it's yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, we have, uh, a very short story, uh, following that up a voice in the dark written by Larry Lieber with Stan Lee plotting it art by Larry Lieber inked by chick stone. It's a wasp solo adventure where she tracks down a jewelry thief. I'm going to put uh, another minute on here. And when you are ready to go. Yeah, kind of. All right. All right. Here we go. Okay. So, uh, so the giant man wasp story, we have egghead using again, ants to give a false positive about, <laughs> uh, how Spider-Man's going to commit a crime to Henry Pym. So he and the wasp go out and find Spider-Man, uh, and mess with him and end up, fighting him for a bit until they realize of course that they are that he's not committing any crime and uh then they figure out uh meanwhile on the other side of town egghead's trying to commit a crime so all the cops are over there but they figure it out and they go and they thwart egghead uh and that works out poorly for him then in the voice in the dark we have a wasp going to dinner to meet henry pym goes into her sewer as she sees a uh a weird person go there, finds out it's a, ju a jewel thief, uh, then impersonates Sue Storm by just being small and using a rolled up <laughs> piece of paper uh, to convince him to turn himself in. Nice. Nicely done. The only thing that you didn't have time to mention was that uh, so Wasp does this great thing. She stops this jewelry thief, uh, but it makes her late for uh, her date with the world's most controlling person, Henry <laughs> yeah. Pym, uh, who's mad at her. And she says, but I caught a jewelry thief. He's like, I heard that on the radio. They said it was Sue Storm who did it. You're lying to me. And then, you know, just proceeds to, you know, gaslight and abuse her for, you know, several more years. Yeah. A yeah. couple. Yeah, man. Yeah, it does. I didn't realize what a jerk he was. Yeah. Uh, and, and he always was. Yeah. So they really didn't try to, you know, there are times when he was yellow jacket when I thought he was cool when yeah, I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, now I realize he's just a jerk. Well, the funny thing is, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that 
he was being intentionally written as a jerk at the time. But I think folks who kind of took over the character later, later yeah. like, and they look back on it as like, he's just not good. Like we got to clean this up. Cause right, like, right. We, we can't say that Stan Lee thought this is someone's idea of a hero, you know, um, by cl the clean it up by making him less of a hero. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's like, no, this is what Stan was building to the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, strange tales. Number one twenty two. Oh man. They just keep going. They just keep going. This is second to last one. Okay. Your penultimate challenge for the week. <laughs> uh, so we got, uh, the main story is three against the torch. Uh, written by Stan Lee with art by Dick Ayers, inked by George Bell. Uh, it's the Human Torch versus the Terrible Trio, uh, who are somehow still getting work. Um, this is uh, Dr. Doom's henchman from the weirdest issue of Fantastic Four that we've read uh, to date. Uh, Bull Brogan, Yogi Dakor, and Handsome Harry Phillips. Um, and then the backup story is The World Beyond, written by Stan Lee with art by Steve Ditko. And it's another Doctor Strange versus Nightmare story. Uh, 60 seconds around the clock and take it away. Okay. So the, uh, I forgot what they are. The, the, the trio, the terrible trio. The terrible trio. <laughs> That's how good this is going to go. Uh, they do what so many have done and they go to Johnny's house to catch him. Great. Uh, <laughs> because they know there's fireproof stuff everywhere and, uh, they can use that against him. Also, he doesn't want to burn his precious sports car. Right. Uh, they, but they get in, they're trying to catch him and then catch all of the rest of the Fantastic Four to prove to Doom how cool they are. Uh, they put him in a trailer park in an asbestos line trailer <laughs> and he's stuck there for quite a while. Uh, I don't even remember how he manages to escape, but it's pro oh smoke. He makes a bunch of smoke come out. Uh, so he escapes and he catches all them. It's all great. Uh, and Doctor Strange, which looks awesome, uh, Doctor Strange falls asleep and goes into the world of Nightmare where he... Uh, Wake, he thinks he wakes up, but he's still in the world oh, and he gets messed trick, with yeah. for quite a while. Uh, but once he realizes it, he actually frightens Nightmare with his worst nightmare. Nice. Nicely done. Uh, that Doctor Strange story is so good. The art in it is impeccable. Um, there's going to be at least uh, a couple of those showing up on our Instagram at Marvel by the Month. So yeah. uh, be sure you're following that. Um, I, I did not realize how cool this stuff was the yeah. Ditko, the Ditko Dr. Strange stuff. I didn't, I didn't even care about Dr. Strange I when I was either. a kid. Uh, but now that I've eaten weed cookies, I think Dr. <laughs> Strange is awesome. Yes. I think that's, that's, uh, that's what we were missing out when we were kids. Uh, all right. You got one issue left. Um, and it's just one story. So you're on the down, Ooh. the downhill, uh, run. Is this X-Men? X-Men number six, Submariner joins the evil oh, mutants. So, I mean, there's your plot summary right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's written by Stan Lee, uh, art by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. Uh, it's the X-Men versus the Submariner and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. 60 seconds on the clock. Take it away, Rob. Okay. So this, in this episode, we get, uh, or this issue, we get um, some some weird things. Um, basically everyone's trying to recruit, recruit Namor because he's a very powerful mutant. Right. So Magneto and the evil mutants and the X-Men are, but both Magneto and professor X somehow sort of astral project themselves and due to their amazing powers and go down to the sea. Um, one, uh, Professor X just you sort of spies Magneto actually convinces some toady down in uh, Atlantis to he's going to take over if he can convince uh, Namor to go away. Namor goes away. 
uh, we end up with this epic battle that's pretty cool and yeah. well drawn of of X Men versus the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. We see more of the good in the Scarlet Witch. Um, she's really worried about Pietro, but they end up both going away with Magneto at the end, and it works out. Uh, you know, the, M- Professor X is happy that Namor. Uh, it didn't join any side. He's fine. Yeah. He just wanted to fight to a draw. Yeah. Um, and also uh, the pivotal moment comes when Namor, who has developed a crush on the Scarlet, Witch, uh, mm-hmm. winds up intervening on her behalf uh, against Magneto. Um, yeah. Because... That is an interesting sixties moment of yeah. sort of PCness. He's like, Magneto's being a jerk to a lady and yep. I don't like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, well, you know, this is a guy also who, was it last week uh, had just kidnapped Sue storm for the third time um, and was trying to convince her to marry him. So, you know, you're only going to get so far with Namor, especially in the sixties, but uh, you know, this is, he redeems himself a tiny bit. Yeah. He's a complicated character. He's very complicated. Uh, By complicated, we mean half crappy. Yeah. (laughs) Mostly a jerk. Uh, The, there is one panel on page 16 uh, panel three, where somehow I think in the inking, they ended up giving Magneto sort of googly eyes. <laughs> uh, it's I'm going to just show okay. it to, to Brian right Let's now, see. right here in this little window. Uh, <laughs> and it I cracked me up so hard I had to show Barb. Um, it's the Scarlet Witch in the foreground. He's in the back, but they just I did not ink it well. That. He just looks like his eyes wow. are going every way but the right way. Okay, great. Well, um, you did, as always, uh, surprisingly awesome yeah, job much uh, better than i thought i would wow that's uh, my whole life <laughs> it's hey <laughs> just keep riding that uh we're gonna take a break uh, when we come back uh we're gonna jump into the first of our deep dives uh, this will be fantastic four and number 28 <laughs> jump into our first deep dive of the issues um this is gonna be fantastic for number 28 the story is called we have to fight the x-men um which i mean that pretty much tells you exactly yeah. what we're, what's in the box about. yeah <laughs> um it's written by stan lee uh the art of course is by jack kirby and ink by chick stone um so uh yeah it's gonna be uh, fantastic four and x-men but you know you can probably guess other folks are going to be involved as well the uh, cover is really bizarre Yes, uh, it is. The cover shows like a giant uh, android, the android who we've met before. Who's the like awesome android. The awesome android who's awesome. Uh, his <laughs> his head is just like a big pillow. Yes. Uh, and uh, he's all gray. It's just yep. a weird, and he wears like, you know, tights uh, or just like <laughs> short, tidy shorts. Underpants. Yeah. yeah he wears underpants like yep. a. A, a true android with a pillow head. But, yeah, yeah. And but he's cover- giant. Yeah. And he's holding all of the X Men and. The Fantastic Four in his hands. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, really misleading and bizarre, but I like it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because like this, this scene takes place in like a page and a half at the end of the <laughs> story. So, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, the issue opens up uh, in, in the FF's headquarters. Um, Alicia Masters has just carved a life-size statue of the thing, which I feel like is a thing that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, in fast, like I think at some point there's just like a gallery full of busts and statues yeah, of the thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like she's, you know, a blind she's sculptor. Into him. Yeah. And it's her boyfriend and like, you know, she has to sculpt by touch. So I'm sure there's not a lot of folks who she can just, you know, kind of 
put her hands all over in order to you know get a good representation um but ben is checking out his new statue uh and the ff are reading about the x-men um and saying largely complimentary things uh in fact johnny reminds them that he has already met iceman when they fought the buccaneer so um that kind of you know sets up uh the fact that the ff and the x-men are aware of each other um in a positive way in a positive way yep they they view each other as allies uh but where's it going to go from here meantime uh elsewhere the the (laughs) the puppet master arrives at the mad thinker's lair right on schedule the mad thinker's like he's going to open the door in a second because that's the mad thinker's jam that's what he does uh the thinker has modeled a rough mold of professor x's head based on every fact he can learn about him (laughs) and the mold is bad it It just looks like a basic head so he provides the puppet master with enough radioactive clay to carve a puppet to control xavier's mind and apparently it's good enough because it actually works uh where he does get um uh he gets a hold enough of a hold on xavier's mind which is impressive since xavier is also a powerful telepath right um the puppet master orders xavier to order the x-men uh to find uh and destroy the fantastic four Professor X gives the order to the X-Men. They push back on it a little bit, but he's pretty adamant. So the X-Men head to the Baxter building, uh, and they tell the FF that they've learned of an alien spaceship that was sighted on a remote mesa and say, hey, you want to check this out with us? (laughs) Um, The FF uh, say that they're busy uh, and they can't leave right now. So the X-Men just attack. Um, And this just leads into like a multiple page, like, amazing like everyone's showing off their powers kind of uh thing um it's it's really great it's dynamic uh it's a really good fight scene uh between what nine different characters yeah, uh, and yeah. It, it's done it's paced well it's it, the funny thing is the no they're like we found it there's an alien spaceship yes. on a mesa do you guys want to come look at it and reads like we're testing this nose cone thing we're making for the air force so no we're busy <laughs> We've seen like 12 alien spaceships in the last right. year. It's like, yeah. Is it a threatening alien spaceship? Because we deal with lots of alien spaceships yeah. around here. So the X-Men wind up uh, kidnapping Sue um, and Reed's like, okay, okay, we'll follow you to where you want to take us. Um, and so they all head out. And when they, when they get there, the X-Men attack again. Uh, they've got <laughs> another instruction from mind controlled Weird to say mind-controlled Professor X. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the FF uh, discovers the whole plateau has been booby-trapped, and the X-Men didn't know about this either. Right, right. And finally, once the FF are subdued, the Thinker and the Puppet Master appear along with the awesome android. And they're not totally subdued. I think they – I mean, they they get, they get do get the thing in a big pit, like a slick pit <laughs> pipe. Uh, and, and they roll a read up like a garden hose. Yeah, like which taffy. Is, it's yeah. like a taffy machine. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, the puppet master orders Professor X to knock out the X-Men. <laughs> and uh, the beast resists and crushes the puppet that the puppet master is holding. So yeah. uh, this is also just, there's a lot of things where we're, we're learning the the powers of and the the sort of willpower of the different characters yeah. in this too like like professor x resists for a very long time right until extra radioactive clay is applied to the <laughs> dumb puppet that then controls him the anyway. puppet that doesn't look a ton like him <laughs> yeah uh and and it's also you know so you've got it's professor x pushing back on the puppet master's control to begin with and then Hank, you know, and he's trying and Professor X is trying to put all five X-Men to sleep 
And Hank just has the most powerful brain, apparently, out of the five right. of them. So that's why he's able to to sort of pull that off. It's setting up our pantheon of smart Marvel heroes. Exactly. Later. Yep. yep. The uh, puppet is crushed by the Beast, uh, and the X-Men and Fantastic Four team up to fight the awesome android, which is really the only character on the bad guy side that you know has any sort of physical ability whatsoever. It's <laughs> yeah. the only thing that, that keeps the thinker and... Uh, the, the puppet, puppet master, master from being <laughs> utterly obliterated immediately. Right. They have, that's their, their strong man. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and so they're all, you know, going at it. Uh, it winds up taking on some of Ben Grimm's characteristics, uh, which makes for a tougher fight. Uh, but then professor X, who's now free of the puppet master's influence, he quote, applies mental pressure at a certain <laughs> section of the Android's artificial nervous system and knocks it out cold. Yeah. Uh, so the puppet master and the mad thinker escape, uh, and the X-Men and fantastic four, part ways as friends so there's not a lot of story to the story um, yeah but it's like hey you know it, again like it, it we're in the early days of tying the whole marvel universe together um and it's, it's a pretty good like putting different people over in different ways yeah you know, yeah um, showing their their strengths and, and their weaknesses but yeah uh it is showing and and again wraps up with sort of an appreciation of teamwork like they're they're the heroes of the universe and right. they respect each other other than the fact that it's the first time these two teams are meeting there's not a lot of historical relevance to it beyond that um, yeah marvel girl looks a little different she, she does. has like she... the longer hair and the the sort of cat mask on yep. the, the points that look like the old iron man mask yeah yeah uh, uh, and that was something that kirby i mean he was he was pretty aware of uh trends in women's fashion and because mm-hmm. he'd done romance comics for so long so like he was constantly he, he did not like his female heroes looking out of step with what was fashionable. Yeah, at the they time. needed to be stylish. So, yeah, um, so he he was like, you know, um, for for a dude who shot Nazis, uh, he was very in tune to women's styles. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. very in touch with that side of himself. <laughs> Uh, and, and this is again, what we just were talking about with the pressure on the awesome Android. It's yeah. another issue where professor X shows up at the end and uses his powers to take out the big bad guy. So it's like, yeah, at any point, professor X could take care of this whole problem. Yep. Like he could conceivably zip around the world and figure out who it is and then <laughs> shut their brain off forever. Right. You know, uh, and not that he's, he's more, you know, he's nicer than that, but he's, he he's has too powerful. Like right. he's way too powerful. He's ridiculously powerful. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Every yeah. time, every time he does something, you're like it, like the Hulk has limits. He's yeah. really powerful, but, yep. but professor X just seems like he could solve every problem by just sort of blinking. Yeah. Cause this is what the sixth uh, issue of the X-Men is this month. Right. So yeah, at least three out of six months, professor X has solved a problem just by like blowing the bad guy's mind it's not compelling storytelling <laughs> no we do get uh we do get something else from this issue oh though. i love this so much uh, yeah in the letter column this is where stanley explains why it wasn't a mistake that he referred to bruce banner as bob banner throughout all of ff number 25 uh, he says in ff 25 featuring the first part of the now famous thing hulk battle we show the hulk in his normal identity as scientist bruce banner but do we call him bruce Oh, no, that would be too simple. (laughs) In front of a quarter of a million fans, we call him Bob all over the place. And to make things worse, we made the same mistake a few issues before that and just got through apologizing for it. 
well, there's only one thing to do. We're going to take the cowardly way out. From now on, his name is Robert Bruce Banner. So we can't go wrong no matter what we call him, unless it comes out Seymour. I love it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like, okay, fixed. It's like, fine. You, you pet ants. You're yeah. like, like, yeah, we screwed up. Obviously, we screwed up. Just let it go. Nope. He's Robert Bruce. Now Banner it's now. canon. Are you yeah. happy? Yeah. <laughs> and of course, like this is something that Marvel would later um, eventually give an incentive to their readers to do um, whenever they noticed an error in continuity or something like that or a mistake. If they could explain it away in a way that made sense uh, and could be woven into the canon, they would get what they called a no prize. A good friend of mine, Mark Patterson, actually won a no prize. Ooh. He pointed out uh, an error in a Spider-Man story. Um, which is pointed out to him by his cousin Sandy. Um, and he wrote in and he explained away why it was not an error. Right. Um, and uh, they printed his letter. They said, no prize is on its way to you. Um, and so he received a envelope um, in the mail and it had the, you know, the Marvel comics uh, return address on it. And it had a little, uh, I believe it's the Hulk an illustration of the Hulk on it. It said, uh, Greetings, true believer. This envelope contains a no prize, which you have just won. Mm -hmm. And you open it up and there's nothing in the envelope. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And but so again, the no prize in, in case we invoke it more often in the podcast is for you to explain why what we said that was obviously wrong is right. Yes. Make it right. Yeah. Uh, so when I go an entire episode and just keep referring to Rob as Bruce, <laughs> if you can say he's, he's actually Robert Bruce Milne, <laughs> then that totally I qualifies. The, you know, lots of Scottish, so there might be some of the Robert the Bruce. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, although he's not the best character uh, in history. <clears throat> no character in history is the best character in history True. if you look far enough. History's bad. Yeah. I'll call you Peter Palmer. <laughs> Speaking of Peter Palmer, um, <laughs> let's take a break. Uh, and then when we come back, let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 14 on Marvel by the Month. Hey, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. It's time to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number 14, the grotesque adventure of the Green Goblin. I like that his adventure is grotesque. <laughs> it's, it's like, not him, <laughs> just his adventure. Yeah. Uh, it's written by Stan Lee with art by Steve Ditko. Um, and this cover, man, this cover teases a ton of stuff. There's so much going on in here. So Spidey's in a cave. He's like clinging to the ceiling of a cave. Um, uh, it teases a new villain, the Green Goblin. Uh, the return of the enforcers who are tiny and in the background as they should be. Um, and also in a uh, box in the corner, uh, it says that there's going to be a guest appearance by the Hulk. Right. Like it is, it is crazy. And, and again, it's our, our Marlon Brando looking uh, Hulk. Yeah. Cause from, Ditko's you know, drawing him. Streetcar yeah. yep. desire. Yeah. Uh, it is not a well-designed cover. I will just say that right now, <laughs> uh, but there's so much going on. It's like, this thing is just engineered to like, you are 11 years old and you have 12 cents in your hand. We're going to get that 12 cents right. from you. So uh, once we get in here, we, we get a look at Spider-Man's latest villain, the green goblin. Uh, he's in a basement laboratory. His mask is, uh, hanging on a hook in the foreground and he's in the background in shadow. We can't see his identity. So we we're curious mm -hmm. right from the very beginning. This sets up the mystery of who the green goblin is, which won't be answered for another 25 issues. Yeah. 
this is something they really really string out and it's like uh, if you if you remember, like most of the villains who we've met so far, like we learn their secret identity name, like we know who Electro right away, is, yeah. we know who Mysterio is by the end of the you issue. You almost get their origin before you meet them. Sometimes you meet them and then you yeah, get the origin, but exactly. still same issue. But this time they're they're making an explicit point, like you don't know who this guy is, and, and you don't get to know for half a year. Yeah, <laughs> or, or for 25, 25 issues, 25 like, more two than years. two years for yeah. us. You oh yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> for us you don't get to yeah, know it's something that that did not dawn on me um until just kind of going back through this time because i've read this issue a few times before um but uh th this is the first time we really had a spider-man villain who they're playing very coy about you know like who this guy is and and making a point of it like we don't know who the chameleon is we don't know who the tinkerer is you know like like right. guys like that but this is someone who like they're really like pointing out in the very first panel. Right. You don't know who he is. And it's yeah. so you think you need to care more. Yes. And, exactly. uh, and, uh, and otherwise you're like, I don't care. Max Dillon is a guy who works on telephone poles. Right. 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 But this, this means something yep. like it's a, this is going to mean something in two years. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, uh, so the goblin, um, we don't know who he is or what he's all about, but we know he's got a flying broomstick. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, rides on that, uh, to a hotel where the enforcers are waiting for him. They're out of jail. Um, and, uh, they're looking for some revenge on Spider-Man who put them there. Um, <laughs> and the goblin says he's got a plan to help them get revenge on Spider-Man. <laughs> And then we smash cut, smash cut to the plush offices of a glamorous Hollywood movie studio. The Green Goblin has flown all the way across the country in in the smash cut. Right. Uh, the Green Goblin pitches a Spider-Man movie to director B.J. Cosmos. So he's <laughs> it's the Green Goblin who's just flown across the country on his broomstick in full costume in full costume. I got to imagine that smell. Uh, and then he <laughs> pitches a movie. So then. Uh, the goblin flies all the way back to New York and uh, he circles around in the skies above New York uh, until Spider-Man uh, tracks him down and uh, he pitches the movie idea to Spider-Man now. <laughs> so at this point, you're like, OK, so Goblin is like a super powered agent. Like he's yeah. a producer. Like, what is he? Just, exactly? He writes scripts. Yeah. He pitches the movie to Spider-Man. He offers him fifty thousand dollars to be in it. Spidey's like, yeah, where do I sign? Uh, J. Jonah Jameson hears that Spider-Man's going to star in a movie. He sends Peter Parker to California to cover it, which is good because otherwise Spider-Man would have absolutely no way to get to <laughs> California. to steal jewelry from Aunt May and hawk it to get that airfare. <laughs> and it's absolutely wild to me that Peter gets permission as a high school student to <laughs> just like take a few days off school to fly to California to cover this event as again like they don't a really cover that much high in the school story. student yeah. yeah it's like it, it's portrayed as like it, it's a harder sell to aunt may to get let him do this right than it is to like you know she's worried again, about his asthma or whatever right yeah. i guess he's a genius you know high school student so i bet his teachers are like you're like nine months ahead you'll of the catch rest of up everyone. you yeah. won't be here to put your hand up every time i ask a question <laughs> it's like please go <laughs> <laughs> so spidey goes to california on jameson's dime uh he and to report for filming 
He thinks the enforcers are actors with an amazing makeup job. Yeah, so he's not that much of a genius. <laughs> Spidey, uh, the goblin, and the enforcers head out to the New Mexico desert. That was another thing. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, to start filming. So they go from California to New Mexico, and I could not figure out why. Yeah, and of course, uh, as soon as they get there, they all immediately start fighting Spider-Man, who figures out pretty quickly he's been set up, because he is still kind of a genius. <laughs> um, he holds his own against the enforcers. Uh, but the Green Goblin's bombs uh, drive him to take shelter in a cave. Um, and so the enforcers and the goblin follow him in. Uh, Spidey, like Metal Gear, solids it through the cave. Um, he's taking out the enforcers <laughs> one by one. Uh, but then the goblin throws some stun bombs. They blast open a section of the cave where the Hulk has been hiding. And this is the point in the story where I was like, that's right. The Hulk is in the story. <laughs> right. He was on the cover yeah. in the corner. And in fact, they even <laughs> mentioned at the very beginning of the story in the first page, it's like, it takes him a while to show up, but don't worry, true believers, he's on his way. You know, <laughs> oh, you're Stan. And it, it's just like, it's such a good bit of misdirection. Like, I completely forgot the Hulk was right. showing I was, up in this I was thing. just like, what is the deal with going to New Mexico right. for this thing? Yeah. Uh, and there's there's desert area in California. Just shoot there, man. Right. Um, uh, so the other thing is that they, the enforcers and the goblin put a giant boulder in the way to right. seal everyone in the cave. Just like Jesus. And then they said something to the effect of like, I hope we think we're trapped. Spider-Man's trapped by us, but maybe we're trapped in here with him. So it was like the Rorschach thing from, <laughs> from Watchmen. <laughs> and uh, and well, then he's wearing a full face mask. And so, then Spider-Man yeah. starts to do like cool Batman stuff where it's just a shadow coming out of the ceiling and yeah. pulling someone out. It's he's like doing serial that killer stuff. Ditko Spider-Man yeah. thing, which like Ditko does not pull that out all that often. But when he does, He's like, oh, yeah, if Peter Parker was like a psychopath, he'd be terrifying. <laughs> Which I think they pulled a lot from in that first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. Yes. With, when he, uh, anyway, we really took a detour, but the Hulk is here now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Spidey tries to take the Hulk down, but, but he's not having it. I mean, he like tries to punch him right in the face and yeah. it does nothing. Nope. Uh, Spidey can't hurt the Hulk at all. So he tricks him into smashing an opening in the cave so he can escape. So he basically fakes a hit leans against the boulder gets the hulk to smash it out of the way um the goblin flees too but spidey goes back to rescue the enforcers from the hulk because he's worried that the hulk's gonna kill them yeah and he's a good guy yeah that's it's another proof of his his moral quality yeah exactly um so then uh spidey returns to bj cosmos to tell him what happened and hopefully get paid but because the movie wasn't finished there's no check should have got an agent spidey he does get enough expense money to get back to New York, though, and he takes the bus so that he can save a little bit left for Aunt May. So what was you know originally started out as like maybe a three or four day trip has now got to be at least 10 days. Oh, yeah, that's like a three or four day trip by bus across yeah. the country. Oh, miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's already gone back from New Mexico to, to California <laughs> mysteriously. Man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the uh, the story ends with the Green Goblin returning to his lair and taking off his mask. Once again, his face is obscured, uh, again, building that mystery of who he is even further. So the story opens and closes. Nice little bit of symmetry there with the Green Goblin. His identity is totally obscured. You don't know who this guy is. But now you really wonder, don't you, kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's so this whole thing is, is funny because it's... Uh, 
in context of Spider-Man having whatever four billion movies that they right. made, um, and being pretty huge now with the it, Tom Holland, you yeah, know. the Spider-Man movie from last year or from this year was the second biggest movie of the year, right? And know? and back in the 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 Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire movie that was at the time, yeah, the the biggest box office ever, yeah. So Spider-Man in in movies makes bunches of money yeah and ironically he got you know bus fare basically in the comic <laughs> when he was gonna be in a movie yeah which is also similar to when namor did the pulled the the thing with and fantastic four number nine with <laughs> where he's gonna put them in a movie and then just gets them out to an island to beat them up right yeah but at least he like he was a man of his word and he finished making the movie and they did wind up being movie stars at the <laughs> yeah. end of that issue so ironically the fantastic oh. four in the comics finishes their movie and become huge movie stars in the comics spider-man doesn't finish his movie doesn't become a huge movie star and then you know you contrast that to how reality played out <laughs> the actual uh fantastic four movies which I, i've seen a discussion lately about the roger corman movie being the best <laughs> fantastic four movie from you it's, and i agree i've seen it it is kind of my i love that doom the Doctor Doom in that movie is yeah. so good. It's not a good movie. Oh, it's terrible. But it's a good bad movie. Yeah. And the every other Fantastic Four movie is at best a bad good movie. Yeah. You know. So and the Roger Corman at least is just so bad it's good. It's like it's like Roadhouse. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention about this issue is that I think uh, the Green Goblin, and it really kind of hit me uh, after reading this one again. It's like he's a really interesting villain. Like he every part of the Green Goblin should just be it's goofy ridiculous. and dumb. Yeah. You know, but there's something about the way that that Lee and Ditko put it all together, like the stupid flying broomstick, the rubber fright mask, like all that stuff and like the sparkles from his fingers. And they put it together in a way that is, uh, especially over time, becomes menacing and creepy and just like legitimately monstrous. Yeah, um, it is very much. It, and uh, I think you've we've talked about this, but it's it, it's like the Joker. Yeah, it is. a He he should be ridiculous, but because of the way he's ridiculous, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, you're like, what person would do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's also like he's one of the like the Joker also like he's one of the characters, the bad guys that they just push further and further and further like right like into madness i yeah. mean green goblin norman osborne wind up becoming like absolutely horrific characters yeah um, much like the joker you yeah know? like uh so yeah the, uh, this is the first appearance of the goblin um it's nothing earth shattering i think but uh it definitely lays some seeds for what's going to grow and it's just a a, a horrible garden and weirdly, uh, I like the broomstick better than the glider. I do too. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I just think it, I mean, it, it's, it seems just as awkward to try to fly on, but it's all, <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yep. I do too. Good issue of Spidey. Uh, but I think we have a very good issue of Avengers coming up uh, and I'm excited to uh, talk about that. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk Avengers six here on Marvel by the month. <laughs> Hey there, welcome 
Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We've got one more issue to get through, and it's Avengers number six, The Mighty Avengers Meet the Masters of Evil, written by Stan Lee, with art by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. This is the first appearance of The Masters of Evil. <laughs> um, the whole concept of Masters of Evil is you take uh, each character who's currently in the Avengers, you find one of their villains, you put it on this team, um, and... Uh, they all team up to take on, you know, their foes on mass. So you've got Thor's enemy, the radioactive man, uh, in this original incarnation, you've got, uh, the black Knight who fought giant man and wasp, uh, a few issues ago. Um, and then you've got, uh, Iron Man's foe, the melter. <laughs> I can't who, believe the melter's still here. <laughs> the melter still qualifies somehow as a super villain. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's the entire Avengers lineup. Uh, except for one dude. Yeah. And and that is Captain America. Yeah. Because so, he doesn't have any solo adventures. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. And for him, you get to meet the 1960s version of Zemo. Yeah. So we just talked about Zemo, uh, Dr. Zemo in uh, Sergeant Fury. So yeah. he was. But now he's super laid back. You don't need to call me Dr. Zemo. It's like. Call me Baron. Yeah. Zemo. Please. My dad was Dr. Zemo. <laughs> Actually, that's his son who does wind up being another Baron Zemo later. But we'll get to that in another seven or eight years. Yeah. Most importantly, we learned, we learned that Captain America became his arch enemy when he basically super glued Zemo's mask to his face. <laughs> Z- Z- Zemo has like a uh, just like a hood that hangs over his face that's purple with some stripes and then he has a sort of gold crown around that too yeah um so it it's it's supposed to look really royal i think but but the fact is that he got that hood glued to his face yeah. he looks like like the upper 10 percent of grimace wearing a crown <laughs> <laughs> and Zemo was developing adhesive X, a super adhesive for Hitler. Yeah, he missed an amazing branding opportunity not by not calling this thing adhesive Z. But you know, we're both marketing professionals and he's not. Right. So, yeah. He didn't he didn't talk to anybody. Yep. Cap shattered the tank of adhesive X with his shield and it splashed on Zemo's masked face. <laughs> so that's who Zemo is and why he's assembled the masters of evil now the story no right so the story opens uh cap is showing off some fancy shield tricks uh he's got some magnets and some circuitry uh from iron man that he's embedded in his shield and gauntlet uh so he's impressing the avengers with all these new tricks uh this lasts by the way for about like three issues and then they get rid of all that stuff right um and, then and it's just sort of boomerang shield stuff exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we cut to the jungles of South America, uh, where Zemo has been hiding out since he got his face glued. Um, and a uh, supply plane lands. Uh, Zemo greets the pilot in what is probably the most Nazi way possible. Oh, he, God. This is honest to God. This is like I was shocked at this image. Uh, he walks along the backs of a line of prostrate, dark skinned natives. It's like, I mean, I know he's supposed to be the bad guy and I know they're really driving home that point, but it's real. It's real. Yeah. Rough. It, yeah. yeah it, it is reprehensible like yeah. even to see. And it, but it, I mean, it does result in you really hate Zemo. Oh yeah. Like, instantly. Immediately. It's like, this guy's a dick. I yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> he is the worst of the worst. Uh, he gets, 
uh, a shipment of newspapers and journals um, that uh, were brought to him. Uh, he learns, uh, first of all, what apparently he's been looking for for 20 years. Yeah, there's <laughs> no solvent for adhesive X that will remove the mask from his face. But then he learns that Captain America is still alive, kind of bury the lead there. <laughs> right. um, and he's like, he's furious. He can't believe that no one told him this. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Zemo has, uh, he, he's uh, he's found a new reason to leave uh, the South American jungles. Um, and first he orders his pilot to track down three people um, who we soon learn are the Melter, the Radioactive Man, and the Black Knight. And then we return back to New York City uh, where the Masters of Evil are executing Zemo's plan. The Black Knight, the Melter, and the Radioactive Man are spraying adhesive X, which he still has a bunch of, all over <laughs> the city. They're just spraying it on the city, on yeah. people, on cars, in on bridges, whatever. Yeah. Um, when the Avengers show up, Giant Man and Captain America are adhesive X'd to the street. Um, yeah. And they can't, apparently it soaks up like through their boots so they can't like jump out of their boots. Right, right. Um, but it's like fly paper that you can't get out of even in any way. Yeah. Iron Man cuts a circle in the street around them and then chains it to a tow truck to pull them to safety. Tow truck! Yeah. <laughs> so they're like surfing behind this tow truck on this like asphalt asphalt <laughs> circle disc. yeah yeah uh so the avengers uh they wind up escaping uh because they're like we have no idea what's going on here we need to take a moment um uh so they get away but zemo it kind of finds a silver lining in it he realizes if anyone can find a solution to dissolve adhesive x it's going to be the avengers uh, and he's not wrong so the avengers contact the warden of the prison oh yeah where marvel's greatest villain paste pot pete is locked up uh and the warden says that if pete gives the avengers his super dissolver uh it could help reduce his prison sentence uh so he does and the super dissolver works uh cap and giant man are removed they're released from the adhesive x um so we found finally the thing that zemo's been looking for for 20 years i love i love that paste pot pete comes back for to solve this problem <laughs> to, to dissolve this problem yeah um and and that uh there's just so much weird adhesive technology in the marvel universe yes uh anyway now free of zemo's trap the avengers decide to switch up their enemies to get the upper hand so uh meanwhile the teen brigade uh you know, with Rick Jones. Oh yeah. Ambushes Zemo's pilot and swaps out his tank of adhesive X for paste pot Pete's super dissolver. There's a lot of switcheroos. In yeah. This, it's like, like a Scooby-Doo plot. It really is. Yeah. Uh, when the pilot takes off to adhesive X up the city, he actually winds up dissolving all of the first batch of adhesive X and freeing everyone who was trapped initially. Uh, so the Avengers, uh, now that, adhesive x is no longer a threat to the city uh, they defeat all the masters of evil because they've traded off partners um so they get everyone except zemo um who cap winds up tracking back to his base um they wind up fighting uh zemo's pilot distracts cap long enough for zemo to escape with what he thinks is paste pot pete's super dissolver <laughs> um but uh so zemo uh, is taking off all the avengers are wondering why cap is not bothered by this uh, Cap's not worried because the canister was actually filled with tear gas. 
prank. <laughs> oh, oh, that wacky cap. Um, as soon as he reveals this information, we see in, like in a panel in the background, uh, Zemo's airship is like smoking and crashing in the distance, uh, and the police head out to arrest him. He's like, "Don't worry, he's gonna put tear gas on his own face. Everybody, <laughs> just stand back and watch this plane wreck." Zing! He got him twice. <laughs> i did so enjoy that oh man yeah it's it's maybe the best way to uh to take down a supervillain so uh so i hope you like the masters of evil because uh we're going to be seeing a lot of them over the next few issues um the also the tactic that you know we sort of brushed over it but the this is something everyone who's seen team up superheroes uh, in, in the movies too in the avengers movies you have like sort of the matched supervillain. Yeah. And the trick is always switch it up. Yeah. The old switcheroo. Take somebody else's supervillain. Their powers won't be an exact match for you. Even if they're over strength, you might be smart. You might have some right. technology, whatever. Yeah. So they managed to just by doing the old switcheroo, uh, uh, take down the masters of evil. Yeah. And it works out all right. Um, I love the way uh, that Marvel revealed Zemo in the past and present simultaneously in the in the same month. Like, yeah, I think that is such a clever thing. I can't think of any other time where it, that has ever happened. Yeah, it's, um, it's I mean, they did it with I mean, not exactly. They did. They introduced Fury and then yeah. they showed Fury in the 60s as a right. CIA director. Right. But not in the same month. It, it, it works yeah. better with a villain, I think. But. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But just the fact that like like suddenly like Captain America has an arch enemy. You yeah. Know, he's got Baron Zemo. With a huge history that we already know a bunch of because it's in a different comic book. Exactly. Yeah. And it also ties together the 1940s Marvel Universe and the 1960s Marvel Universe really closely. So right. it's like, I mean, we've seen Reed Richards in the 40s. You know, we've seen Fury show up in the 60s. Um, but this is another link to show like what was happening in 1940 directly impacts what's right. happening this is in like 1960. the, the yeah. existence of namor the existence of cap yeah. those things that happened in the golden age are real yeah they they still apply yep. like that's continuity yeah they, that's such a cool thing to take these arbitrarily different stories and then just weave them into the universe yeah, yeah. and that's what's happening so <laughs> the fantastic four issue felt like there was not really a lot of story this one feels like there's almost too much story because, right. like, with all the adhesives and the <laughs> the the, uh, the dissolvers, and, and, and then the big appearance of Pace Pot Pete that should have been in a corner <laughs> panel on the cover. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I felt like you know Stan was getting over his skis a little bit on this one, but uh, you know what? It, it's a good story. It's a really neat trick to introduce the same villain in two different eras in the same month. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is, this is very cool. Yeah. It's, this is a crossover rich month. Like yeah, giant man and wasp fighting Spider-Man. Yeah. We've got the X-Men with, uh, fantastic four. Everybody's crossing over. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, that basically wraps up our month, uh, this week. So, uh, we're going to take one final break. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about our panels of the month. Uh, and we also, Rob, we got a fan letter. I, oh, yeah. I'm very excited. So uh, we will, uh, pff, boy, what a tease. You're going to listen to us read our mail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stay Try tuned. Try to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Uh, we got a fan letter, uh, and I'm very excited to read it to you. So uh, we got this from Cameron. 
Um, and he said uh, he sent this into Marvel by the month at gmail.com where you can also send letters into. Uh, he says, first off, I'd like to say that I love your podcast. Each episode is genuinely funny and really great. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah, that's very sweet. Appreciate that. Uh, keep up the good work. Well, if we ever start doing the good work, we'll keep it up. <laughs> uh, anyway, you guys keep saying that it's dumb that Ant-Man walks around when he's tiny. Basically, this is a necessary thing. Back in those days, he couldn't just click a button and return to normal size. Each dose of PIM particles had to be used individually. So he couldn't just go around using them when he wanted. It wasn't quite explained well then, but it's true. Anyways, keep up the good work. Thank you, Cameron. Thanks, Cameron. Um, and he's totally right. Like uh, the the activation method for Henry Pym's size changing and 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 the wasps also, for that matter, um, was they would take pill popping, pill popping, shrinking, enlarging, um, which were also the most fast activating pills I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yep, uh, that makes sense. I still stand by. It's worth it. To, you know, pop a pill, become normal size, and take a damn cab. <laughs> yeah, Cameron's totally right here. Like, the mechanism, you know, makes it unwieldy, so there is a there's a certain complexity that's added to the character by saying he's only got limited doses of this. Uh, but at the same time, like, you could change this at any time. You know, like, right. uh, in, in the 1960s, Aquaman could not be out of water for an hour, <laughs> or he would, like, start to... Uh, wither and die so like literally on the justice league satellite there was a shower that he would go into and they made this a plot point like in several stories or even just like incidentals like they'd adjourn a meeting is like well i'm off to my shower <laughs> so it's like i i think when we do give uh ant-man a hard time i i think it's not the character that we're giving a hard time to it's just sort of the slight lack of vision of the folks who were pulling the strings um yeah. whereas like hey, maybe there's a better way to approach this character. Um, but, you know, at the same time, all this stuff, I think one of the most interesting things of early Marvel comics is just seeing them work this stuff out in real time um, and doing it in public, too. Like, you yeah, know, like very public. figuring your stuff out in public, you know, speaking as two guys who had never done a, po a podcast until we decided to start doing this podcast. Like we go back and listen to those early episodes and they're terrible. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for listening. To and them. <laughs> everybody who bought my high school band when I was 15 years old and recorded a demo, you know, they paid for that demo. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, but thank you. And also, Cameron, we're happy to agree with you because you are our first fan letter. Yes. And uh, so you are a hero to us. Thank you so much. You give us hope. Yeah. In a dark, dark world. You are all that stands between us and saying, I'm not really feeling it this week. <laughs> yeah. You're going to keep this thing happening every Wednesday. <laughs> Whether that makes the world a better place or not, I'm not sure. But I thank don't. you so much for writing. And if anyone else uh, would like to uh, offer any comments or questions or anything else, please send them to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Um, and if you uh, record a audio file and drop it in there with your uh, phone's voice memo app, um, we can also uh, work that into the show. So yeah. now it's time to uh, get into our panels of the month. Yeah, I can go first. Go for one. it. Yeah. Mine's pretty straightforward. Do it. Um, uh, Ditko doing Doctor Strange. Yes. Uh, we talked about this. I, I talked about it in my one minute of covering Strange Tales. Uh, uh, Strange Tales number 122, page 18. I'm saying panel one. Um the, and all I had to, my note was Dr. Strange is so trippy. Um, <laughs> it is 
and it, it's so well designed too. It's just the way Ditko uses color and these bizarre shapes to to paint this, you know, world of nightmare, which is just the it, an otherworldly place. Like yeah. our physics don't apply. Nothing applies. Colors are just crazy. Um, this specific panel is just the start of some really crazy stuff, but it's Dr. Strange just in this weird throw of getting caught in this ethereal bubble that I think is described as a whirlpool of spinning energy waves. Yes. Uh, and so just some having that, I think that was written after it was drawn with Stan trying to describe what he sees <laughs> and it, and which is great. I mean, that's a great and accurate depiction, but then it, it after that, just panel after panel of, strange colors and shapes put together in such a cool way. Yeah. Um, and I, and again, I didn't, I didn't know how much I loved this until we've been revisiting all this stuff. Yeah. I think every panel on this page is incredible. I mean, it really does feel just trippy and, and psychedelic. Uh, I mean, and, and this surreal is, and, and this yeah. is 1964. It's like, you were not seeing this on every street corner at this point, you know, like this is the stuff that informed the artists who were inspired by, yeah. you know, like, and there were definitely underground artists who were reading early Marvel comics. And, you know, a lot of them will speak to the fact that like, this is where their inspiration came from. It's yeah. specifically Stevie Ditko stuff. Yeah. I so. get Ditko so much more in Dr. Strange. Like I understand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Spider-Man and Spider-Man is a richer character, totally. I would say. But but this, the universe that Doctor Strange inhabits is so cool. Yeah, yeah. It just looks so cool. And it's developed over time. It yep. wasn't cool initially. It was just kind of ghost people staring at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he figures it out and, yeah. and he works it out. Um, How about you? What do you got? So my panel of the month. So you went with something that's very artistically captivating. Um, I actually, I think for one of the first times, uh, my panel was chosen... Uh, for the words and not the art, although the art is very lovely. It's Jack Kirby stuff. Um, it's Avengers number six, uh, page 20, panel seven. Um, and this is sort of it toward the end of the issue during the fight between Captain America and Zemo uh, at the end of the issue. Um, Cap says the world must never again make the fatal error of mistaking compassion for weakness. And while I live, it won't. <laughs> and yeah. that is just like, in those just handful of words, that is absolutely the essence of why Captain America is my favorite Marvel character. Right. Like that captures why he works and, and the, the only context he works in, um, which I was like, Chris Evans, I think really embodied that version of Captain America, yeah. which is why I think his, his cinematic portrayal was so great, but it's not the flag waving patriotism. It's that Arthurian ideal of, might in the service of right right um, it's definitely you say arthurian during sort of i mean post camelot of yeah. jfk yeah this is just after this you know we've lost this sort of ideal of the heart and the conscience and the soul of yeah. america yep which he's representing but he's also he's also fighting yeah. you know yeah uh, and, and he harkens back to, you know, the last just war. And he's fighting a Nazi right now. He's fighting a Nazi. Right. Whose face he's super glued to a mask. <laughs> <laughs> Never miss a chance to punch a Nazi or super glue his face to a mask. <laughs> and then also prank him with tear gas. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best. Uh, okay. Uh, well, that's uh, this episode of Marvel by the Month. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another one of these. So we hope you will be there. Uh, in the meantime, uh, look us up on marvelbythemonth.com and, uh, you can hit us up on Instagram at marvelbythemonth. 
And as mentioned a couple times, uh, email us marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. By the time you listen to this, uh, we will have enjoyed a wonderful performance of Rob's band uh, at Dante's. Which will have gone very well. Which will have gone amazingly well. Um, because these songs have never been performed in public before. So <laughs> no one knows if they don't exactly. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, a wonderful thing. And also something, uh, that we have coming up in January, um, that we're pretty excited about. So, uh, books with pictures, which is one of our very favorite comic stores in town. Uh, they did a Kickstarter, um, when they moved locations, uh, earlier this year. And we supported that. Um, and uh, one of the uh, prizes was that we could curate um, a wall of uh, comics or a shelf of comics. Um, and so we uh, just found out that we'll be doing that in January. Yeah. So um, so first of all, if you have any suggestions for what Marvel trade paperbacks uh, or Marvel inspired trade paperback should wind up on that wall, uh, please shoot them to us at marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, putting our list together, um, and getting a few things up there. And, uh, we're so grateful to, uh, Katie from books with pictures for giving us a chance to do this. Yeah. Katie, you are awesome. Yes. She introduced us to Douglas Walk. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, that right there, she's in our good books and then, you know, <laughs> everything else is just gravy on top of that. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, I think we got to wrap this up. So, uh, until next week. I'm Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Mel. And we'll see you next week for next month.